Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. The first psalm in the whole book of Psalms. Should be found on page 431 in your pew Bibles or 840 in the large print. And this is one we kind of go back to again and again, and particularly helpful to keep in mind as we continue looking at the book of James and what it means to have a living faith that and a life that bears fruit. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and we thank you for your word which you have given to us. We pray that as we hear it read and proclaimed this morning, that you would open our ears, that you would give us minds to understand, and that you would give us hearts to receive your message. Now that by your word and by your spirit, that we would be changed even more today into the people that you created us to be in relationship with you, Through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Turning then to our gospel lesson, Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. It should be found on page 821 in the Pew Bibles, or 1572 in the large print. Mark 9, 30 to 37. Shortly after Jesus' transfiguration, says, Mark tells us, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are continuing our series through the book of James uh, this morning, and we will be looking at uh, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Before we get there, I have to tell you what happened to me on Friday morning. 
Friday morning, my alarm went off early, and um, I didn't like that, so I hit snooze. And so eight, nine minutes later, whatever it is, uh, the alarm goes off again. And I seriously had this thought. I thought, deep in my sleep, (laughs) I wonder who that alarm's for because I'm already awake. (laughs) I really did think that. That's not for me. I'm already awake. And then I opened my eyes and realized, no, I had not gotten up. I had actually been dreaming that I had gotten up and started getting ready for the day. And then my alarm went off and I woke up again. I share that with you. I told Benjamin as I was taking him to school that morning, I told him that it happened. I said, this is probably going to end up in the sermon this Sunday. (laughs) Because I think that's the case a lot of times when we're coming to hear a sermon that we think, you know, you hear what the topic is and you go, oh, no, no, that must be for somebody else. I'm already awake. I've already got that part. We're good there. And I would caution everyone always <laughs> to never have that attitude when, uh, when anything is being brought up from the Bible because you never know. You might be awake or you might be dreaming you're awake. <laughs> so we will all stay cautioned that way. And uh, particularly as we get to this section, we've been looking at James and we see that he's been just kind of going around the room and stomping on toes all around the circle and getting everybody somewhere. And today is another one of those days. In uh, James chapter 3, starting in verse 13, he starts out by saying, Who is wise and understanding among you? There you go. Who is wise and understanding among you? And this is one of those questions where... uh, you may not want to raise your hand and be like, yes, I'm wise and understanding. But there may be a part of you that in your heart is like, well, that is me, but I'm wise enough to know not to raise my hand. <laughs> That's how wise and understanding I am. But he asks this question, who is wise and understanding among you? Who is it that knows, uh, you know, what wisdom is, by the way, is not just knowledge, but it's knowledge applied. It's when you're actually living out, you know, you know how to live in the world. And this understanding is kind of that same idea of who here knows how the, the way of the world, the way that the world works, how to live and get along in this world. And that's one of the things that, uh, that people strive after, to learn how to get along in this world and to teach each other how to get along in this world. And we kind of pride ourselves on knowing that we are those who are wise, who know how to live, who know the ways of the world. And then he says, that let, it, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, Considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And so what we have here are two different kinds of wisdom. And there is a reason for it. And I want you to think about the kind of wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, as he describes, And it starts at the very beginning. If we go back, kind of take a step back from all of it, 
and look at the creation of the world. God created the world good, right? And as he created the world good, it was in good the people were in good relationship with him, with each other, with the creation for a while until they turned away. And do you remember why they turned away? It was when it says that Eve seeing that the fruit was desire was uh, Good for food and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took it and ate. But this, of course, was not the wisdom from God. The wisdom from God showed how to live in relationship, in right relationship with him and with everyone and everything else. But when she went after the counterfeit wisdom, what happened is it took this good creation and turned everything upside down. When she said, I don't want to be with God, I want to be over God. I don't want to have a relationship with him. I want, to, I want to decide for myself what is right and wrong. When she takes that step, and Adam right along with her, by the way, this is not just on Eve, everything breaks down. All the relationships break down. And the world is turned upside down. And so here's where that gets us with, the book, with what James is telling us. Is that there are two different kinds of wisdom in this world, two different ways of having of being wise and understanding, of knowing the way the world works. And on the one hand, you have people who say, I know how the world works, this is how you get how do you get ahead in the world, and these are the rules that you have to play by, and if you want to win, you gotta know the you gotta play by the rules, if you're gonna play by the rules, you gotta know the rules. Here's the way here's the way the world works. Now let's get on in this life. And he says if you do that you are actually living upside down to the way the world is created. You're living completely in tune with the way the world is now. But when we think, you know, how is it that the world works now? Well, the answer is it doesn't. The world is broken. Broken because of sin. And when we follow the ways of the world, we're actually following a whole broken system. A broken way of relating to God, a broken way of relating to each other, and a broken way of relating to the creation. And he says, when we're doing this, when we are seeking to live that way, it says, don't start boasting that you know how the world works. Because what that is, is a false wisdom. It's a counterfeit wisdom. It's the wisdom that Eve thought she was going to get, or it's not what she thought she was going to get, it's what she really got. But it's a counterfeit wisdom. It's not knowing how to live well. And so it gives us these descriptions of what that looks like. He says, If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you find envy and for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. In other words, everything is out of whack when you have envy and selfish ambition. That looking out for number one. And this is exactly what the world teaches us to do. You've got to look out for yourself. You've got to promote yourself. If you go to any sort of leadership conference or anything, you're going to say you need to learn how to assert yourself and to, uh, to show how you are the one who, is, who everybody needs to listen to and you're the one who knows the right way to go and everybody should follow you. And, but you've got to assert yourself. That is not what we find biblically. It's not about asserting, our, uh, asserting ourselves. It's not about asserting even our own rights. 
And what he tells us seems so backwards and so upside down. But if we can remember that the whole world is already backwards and upside down, then it makes sense that anything that looks upside down and backwards in the world may actually be right side up in the kingdom of God. This, by the way, shouldn't surprise us when we read through the whole of the Bible and we see things um, that don't make sense from an earthly point of view. And this is how God continually is working with his people. And we saw earlier when we have the people coming out of Egypt and God leads them actually to a dead end. And we say, well, that, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you lead us to a dead end? We could have gotten away some other way, but now we're stuck. But it's not that God was leading them to a dead end. God was leading them to their dead end. But it wasn't his. He knew that there was a way that he would open for them to go across. And as long as they continued by faith to follow him, it works out well. But it's not the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world says, we've got to go run through the wilderness and we've got to go as hard as we can to get away from these people. But the way of God is, trust me, even when it looks like a dead end. Keep on following. I'm not going to let you go. We see the same uh, sort of thing with Gideon in the book of Judges. You remember what happens there? He's up against 135,000 Midianites. And he has his army of 10,000 people. And God says, that's too many. That's too many. If you win this battle, 10,000 against 135,000, you will all think to yourselves, we are the coolest army ever. We are the, the toughest. He said, you can't be thinking that. That's the way of the world. Here's my way. I want to shrink your army. And he shrinks it, and he shrinks it, and he shrinks it until they get down to 300 people. 300 people against 135,000. He says, okay, now we can go. Because now when you win, there's no way you're going to think we're the best army ever. You're going to think, wow, I'm sure glad we followed God. Because he's the best ever. Everything, it's upside down. The way the world is, if you're going to go up against 135,000, you need a bigger army. Get more and more and more and more. And God says, no, you need less and less and less. That's the way we're going to do this. It's backwards. It's backwards again when Jesus is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount and he starts saying things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And we hear all these things and we say, no, 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 no. I think you, I think you heard wrong, Jesus. I think you got this backwards. <laughs> but what he's pointing out is that we are all already hearing backwards. And he's come to show us how to straighten it all back out again. And this is where he takes it. Next, James says, but the wisdom that comes down from, that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. We don't have time to really go through each one of those words and what those mean, but I would highly recommend a study through those. Each one is counterintuitive to the way of the world. The way the world tells us to operate, the way that we are to get ahead in the world. But what James is saying is if we really understand the wisdom of God, if we understand what the kingdom of God is all about and how it is completely upside down from the ways of this world, if we understand what it has to do with who Jesus is and why he came, 
we'll see that it makes perfect sense in all of it. For example, as we look at uh, as we look at Jesus, and we ask ourselves, you know, does Jesus know how to get along in this world? Depends on your perspective, right? If we're looking with worldly wisdom, if we're looking at Jesus with worldly eyes, we say, what a terrible leader. What a failure. I mean, he gathers, you know, some people for a very limited time, but only enough to get people so mad at him that he is killed by an angry mob in his early 30s. I don't think he knew how to get ahead in this world. But when we're looking from, a, from the kingdom of God, and we're looking from a heavenly perspective, and we look at Jesus, and we say, does he know how to get along in this world? Say, Absolutely better than anybody. And his life is more beautiful than any of the other leaders of any kind ever. Because when you look at Jesus, you see what life is supposed to be like, how it's supposed to be lived. And what is amazing is he's doing these very things that James is saying, this is what true wisdom does. This is how it's lived out. It's not just about knowing things, it's about how it's lived out in life. And it is full of mercy. It is full of good fruit. It is peace-loving, considerate, submissive. Oh, submissive. If there were ever a word that (laughs) hit us in our culture completely upside down and backwards, it's that word, right? Of course, we would never submit. And that's exactly what we see Jesus doing in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he says to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. But interestingly, it's not only there when he submits, but do you realize that he's also submitting to the soldiers who are beating him and nailing him to the cross? Do you realize that it's at that point he could have stood up for his rights and said, you have no idea, <laughs> no idea who I am and no right to be doing this to me. Get out of here. He had every right to do that. But he submits. He gives up his rights for the good of others. This, by the way, takes us back to that word humility. Just because in the very beginning of this passage, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it. Not just raise your hand, not just say in your heart, Yeah, I'm wise and understanding. He says, Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Humility is one of those words where we often uh, have a bad connotation and start thinking that it means uh, to think poorly of yourself. Well, if pride is thinking more highly of myself than I should, then maybe humility, the opposite, I should just think I'm horrible, I'm horrible, I'm horrible. That's not humility. Humility is actually just thinking, not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking less of yourself. (laughs) not thinking about yourself as much because you're thinking of other people. I always like to take these words and use the letters to help us remember the definitions. Humility, H-U-M-I-L-T-Y. Hang up my interests, look into yours. Hang up my interests, look into yours. This is when you read Philippians chapter 2, you see this is exactly what Jesus did when he came to earth. (laughs) Yeah. When he originally came to earth. Not even at the cross, but even at Bethlehem. That he is giving up his own rights for our sake. Because he's looking after our interests, at what we need. A lot of times we look at this kind of humble servant kind of idea, and we think, humble servant, what do I have in 
uh, mind for that. And what comes to mind is some sort of like British servant like you'd find on Downton Abbey or something. You say, I don't know if I want to be a humble servant like that. <laughs> Let me give you a different image. We recently celebrate, celebrated anniversary, not celebrated, but remembered the anniversary of uh, 9-11. I want you to consider a humble servant as the firefighters who ran into the Twin Towers that morning. Those who were sacrificing themselves because they knew there were people in there who needed help. Is that not what Jesus did for us? Sacrificing himself because he knew we needed to be saved? This is the Bible's definition of humility. It's not thinking bad about yourself. It's thinking about others' needs more than your own and being willing to give up your own rights for the good of others. Do you see how this goes completely against that selfish ambition and envy that James is talking about? We have two options. We can look at everybody in the world and we can continue to look around at them and say, I want what they've got, I want what they've got, I want what they've got. Now how can I use people to get those things? And every person becomes another object or another plot point in your own story of how I can advance myself in this world. And James is saying the wisdom that comes from heaven, not that comes from the earth, not that comes from the devil, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, that comes from the Spirit of God, is the wisdom that says, look around at all the people and see them as people. People who have been created in the image of God and who are all hurt and broken because of sin and the sin-sick world we live in. Look to their needs and give up your rights to meet them. This is what Jesus did. This is what we are called to do. And this is what he empowers us to do by his spirit. And when we are living like that, we see we have, uh, let me highlight two last verses and we'll be done. Verse 16 says, Where you have, selfish, have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So if what we're wanting in the end is disorder and every evil practice, here's how you get it. Envy and selfish ambition. That's what you'll get. But, verse 18, it says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. When we are living at peace with God because of what Jesus did for us, and we are seeking to live at peace with each other because of what Jesus did, that is what brings us into a right relationship with God and with each other and with the creation. And this is what all of the world was created to be like in the beginning before it all went wrong. This is one of the reasons why, as we celebrate communion, that we hold the bread and we all eat together. Because, yes, we understand that Jesus has made us right with God, but we also understand that we are all now a part of his body, that we have a unity in him because of him. And through that, we have a harvest of righteousness that awaits. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.